every corner of the digital universe. You can't instant link to the internet. And Stradi Naylor E3 video phone. Technology called I smell. Smelling mold and mildew and animals. Man, I got to smell a swamp today. Welcome to Watercooled Potato, your guide to the obsolete and absurd tech of the past, present, and future. I'm John. I'm Kevin. And it's been a while since we've recorded our last episode. The last episode we yeah. actually recorded was... Two months ago? Yeah, something like that. Back before most of the uh, pandemic chaos happened. Yep. So, we're finally back, and hopefully we'll get back to a normal upload schedule soon. Uh, you know, theoretically, after this episode, we'll be back mm -hmm. to our normal schedule. And if you haven't noticed, but my, my quality has been a bit down, because we are now in different locations, social distancing. Yay. But at least we're able to record. Yeah. Yeah, we, we did spend about two hours attempting to get our audio to work earlier. So uh, hopefully it's uh, decent. I'll do what I can. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll just trust in Kevin's editing magic. Okay. All right. <laughs> All right. Let's get started on today's topic. Today. We'll be talking about the Xbox 360 and the Red Ring of Death. Oh, I've heard of this. Is it a stupid idea or the, anything, though? Well, this disaster cost Microsoft over $1 billion. Hmm. So, I think it's fitting, probably. Okay. We'll see. In November 2001... Microsoft launched their first gaming console, the Xbox. The Xbox was meant to compete with the PlayStation 2 and the Nintendo GameCube. Mm -hmm. The Xbox featured some fairly impressive specs for a console in 2001. The CPU was a 733 MHz Intel Pentium 3 with 64 megabytes of RAM wow. and an NVIDIA GeForce NV2A GPU. I'm not entirely sure how powerful that is, but apparently it was decent. Okay. And it was the first gaming console to have its own built-in hard drive. Oh! Huh. Although it was only 10 gigabytes, with 8 gigabytes available after formatting and the operating system. Mm-hmm. The console was a massive success, with a record-breaking 1.5 million units sold in the first two and a half months. Yeah, that's pretty good. In 2003, with the success of the first Xbox under their belt, Microsoft set out to improve their console for the next version, a device codenamed Xenon. The new generation was designed to be a slim, sleek, and powerful device, improving on the rather boxy appearance of the last generation. You see, the original Xbox looked a lot like a box. Mm -hmm. Pretty square, kind of a giant X 
shape across the top of it. Not the prettiest thing to have sitting in your living room, although I wouldn't really care, but uh, I guess it, it looks like a VCR, kind of, mm-hmm. as far as size and shape. The new console would have the ability to play multiplayer games online, purchase and install games online, as well as stream movies, music, and TV, and also playback media from network storage. It could almost do everything you'd possibly need for a home entertainment system. Mm -hmm. Kind of like most of the functions built into a smart TV today, plus being able to play games. Yeah. (laughs) And, of course, if it's going to play games, the hardware needs to be decently powerful. And it was. This new device would feature a hyper-threaded tri-core 3.2 GHz Intel Xeon CPU with 512 megabytes of RAM and a 500 MHz ATI Xenos GPU. I'm not entirely sure, but I think the base model did not have a hard drive, and the premium version had a 20 gigabyte hard drive. Okay. The design was finalized in late 2005, two years of development, and manufacturing began. On November 22nd of 2005, the device was finally released. It was called the Xbox 360. Mm-hmm. Sales were strong, and the console sold out completely immediately upon release. However, that wasn't entirely due to thousands and thousands of people wanting an Xbox. Is also due to this short supply. Mm. Because, for some reason, Microsoft didn't begin manufacturing the consoles until just 69 days before launch. Okay, why so short? We'll get there. And because of this, they ran out of Xboxes everywhere. (laughs) Except Japan, where it was a massive failure. Wait, in Japan where they didn't sell very well, they ran out? (laughs) No, 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 no. They ran out everywhere except for Japan. Oh. Because it was a failure in Japan. Okay. Yeah. From what I read... Japanese-based Sony and Nintendo did much better there Mm -hmm. with their PlayStation and... uh, I don't remember which Nintendo uh, device competed directly with the Xbox 360, but whatever that device was. Anyway, somehow, 40,000 Xbox 360s ended up on eBay. It's not clear if this was official as in being sold directly by microsoft through ebay or whether it was people just grabbing xboxes and reselling them at highly inflated prices like they do with any new modern gpu uh, now (laughs) exactly anything that's new and semi-popular at least and in short supply turns up on eBay priced at about four times its actual value within 24 hours of its release. (laughs) Something like that, yeah. Yeah, back when the iPhone X came out, I remember seeing iPhone Xs on eBay for like, I don't know, five to six hundred dollars 
over retail price, like within the first few days when every Apple nut on the planet decided they had to get one immediately. Mm-hmm. Anyway, in just over a month, Microsoft had sold 1.5 million units faster than the sales of their first model. And at three to four hundred dollars each, that's a lot of cash for Microsoft. Mm-hmm. Besides the home theater features and impressive hardware, the game selection also helps the Xbox 360 gain popularity. With an estimated 1,000 games being available in the first year, at least according to Microsoft. Overall, the Xbox 360 seemed to be a fairly good product. At first. I mean, with a thousand games, at least you don't have a problem of not having enough games like a lot of the other consoles. True. The one thing I find interesting about the hardware is a tri-core hyper-threaded CPU. Yeah, that was a Xeon. Were those not reserved for, like, servers back then? I mean, not really reserved, but more, like, more purpose towards. Yeah, so what I read, it it sounds like... It's a bit confusing, but it sounds like it was not a normal CPU. Like, as in, it wasn't uh, just the same thing that you would throw into the socket on a server or Mm. something. It was integrated into a customized chip of some sort, if I understood what I read correctly. It's it's solid information is a little hard to get, uh, probably because Microsoft would prefer detailed information about their hardware to Mm -hmm. stay locked in a vault somewhere. (laughs) Within a few weeks of launch, Xbox 360s began dying for seemingly no reason. One minute, your Xbox 360 would be just fine. The next thing you know, it's dead. The Xbox 360 has a four-segment ring of LEDs around the power button that serve as Mm -hmm. status indicators. The dying consoles would display the code for general hardware failure, meaning basically... Nothing other than the hardware and you're, has yeah, died you're in some way. Uh, who knows how? <laughs> so the code was three of the four sections around the power button lighting up red. Owners of dead Xboxes quickly named this phenomenon the Red Ring of Death after the Windows Blue Screen of Death. <laughs> Fitting, since these are both Microsoft products. Yep. Calls to customer support began rolling in. People at Microsoft were beginning to freak out just a little. (laughs) The following is a quote from Peter Moore, an Xbox executive at the time. Quote, We knew we had a problem. I remember going to Robbie Bach, my boss, and saying... I think we could have a billion-dollar problem here. As we started to do the analysis of what was going on, we're getting the defectors in, and it was a challenging problem for our engineers, and we couldn't quite figure out what it was. We knew it was heat-related. Oh. End quote. Not enough cooling? They did some calculations. 
Oh, we'll get there. Oh, boy. They did some calculations and estimated that this could cost the company $1.15 billion. Well, that's not that much money, right? (laughs) So, now, Peter Moore had to go tell his boss, CEO Steve Ballmer, that they had a problem which was going to cost the company a billion dollars. The following is the conversation between Peter Moore and CEO Steve Ballmer. Peter Moore. If we don't do this, this brand is dead. CEO Steve Ballmer. What have we got to do? Peter Moore. We've got to take them all back. And we've got to do this in a first-class way. Because when you take a console away from a gamer, you're going to spend three weeks fixing it. So, we've got to FedEx this all the way. We've got to overnight it back in two days. Hmm. They spent an estimated $40 million on FedEx shipping alone. Wow. In the end, they decided to repair all dead Xboxes under warranty and extend the warranty to three years. Okay. So this is actually an example of a company being responsible dealing with the aftermath of a design flaw. Yeah, because usually the ones we cover are like, uh, we're screwed, we're bankrupt, bye. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, now let's talk about what was actually causing these Xboxes to just die en masse. And an interesting fact, according to one article, a store in the UK was having as many, like, I believe this was a chain of stores, Mm -hmm. was having as many as 1,500 customers turn up trying to return their dead Xbox each day. Each day. Oh, yeah. So. Wow. It's... A little hard to find a completely solid source for exactly what happened to cause the devices to fail. Mm -hmm. But I did my best to scrape together all the details and fit them together into a fairly accurate description as far as I can tell. So, the failure seems to have been due to a series of poor decisions throughout the entire design process. Oh. To begin with, the case was designed first, with little attention to the size and cooling requirements of the hardware they intended to pack inside. Remember when I said how they wanted it to be slim and sleek? Oh no. Yep. That took priority over oh no designing it so that it would actually work that's like saying i'm gonna make a computer and then stuff a bunch of desktop parts into a teeny tiny case and go yeah air cooling um i can just stuff these little tiny fans and it'll be enough right (laughs) yeah like that macbook that would throttle when you try to actually use it oh yeah that's a good example 
So, the team of engineers were handed a case and told to cram the hardware in it however possible. Oh. They somehow managed to fit a tricore six-thread CPU and a GPU inside of a tiny box. However, this... Oh, and an optical drive, and mm -hmm. on some models, a hard drive. So you've got basically a full PC crammed into this tiny case. Yeah. And, of course, this led to a lack of proper cooling, which caused overheating. What a shock. <laughs> then, a combination of poor quality solder joints and heat caused solder connecting the CPU, GPU, or both to crack, causing the CPU and GPU to lose connection to each other. Oh. So, these would be, uh, like, BGA, ball grid array mounted chips. So basically, you've got your CPU or your GPU, and on the bottom, you've got a bunch of tiny little round contact pads, mm -hmm. and you have the same thing on the circuit board. And tiny little balls of solder are placed on all of the contacts. Then it's lined up very precisely. It's heated. The solder bonds the contacts. And you have a permanently attached CPU or GPU. Mm -hmm. The solder balls between the CPU or GPU and basically the motherboard are what would crack under the extreme heat yeah quality control and testing should have caught this before the product ever launched yeah but <laughs> remember how they only began manufacturing 69 days before launch oh they're like quick let's just put it through so we can release it on time yes exactly they were in too much of a rush just trying to get something on the shelves that they skipped most of the testing and certification that they should have done. Hmm. And if they had, they probably would have caught this problem, although they, they would have had to redesign it yep. at that point. <laughs> anyway, so they ended up having to replace thousands upon thousands of dead Xbox 360s due to overheating. And they had to eventually redesign the entire thing mm -hmm. so that it would not overheat and kill itself. And the interesting, really, really interesting thing here is it kind of seems like they did not have any method of overheat protection that would prevent them from heating up enough to kill themselves. Uh. Yeah. So apparently when it would overheat, it would flash a red light, but it wouldn't warn you in any other way or shut down. Uh, that's, that's dumb. And, well, it did have one hidden benefit. A way to fix your dead Xbox 360. Hmm? So, if for some reason your Xbox 360 is, I don't know, somehow not under warranty, or you don't want to wait weeks to have it fixed, although they were 
overnighting the consoles. I don't know why you would do this, but if you were determined to fix your Xbox 360 yourself, there was a method to do so. Oh. A simple, quick, and easy method that any idiot could try. Drill holes in the case? Uh, that would prevent it from killing itself in the beginning, but... Oh. Your Xbox is already dead. Oh, true. This method is very, very similar to something people try as a last resort to save their dead GPUs. Oh, they stick it in the oven? I will now... Close. I will now read a WikiHow article... Oh, no. ...describing how to fix your Xbox 360. Oh, no. Step one. Make sure your Xbox 360 actually has the three red lights, also known as the Red Ring of Death. Step two. Get enough towels to cover the whole system. Step three. Remove everything from the 360, including external hard drives, wired controllers, games, etc., except for the power supply. <laughs> Step four. Wrap your Xbox 360 with the towels. Oh no. Step five. While wrapped, plug your Xbox 360's power supply into a wall socket and turn it on. You'll get your usual red ring of death. Let it run for 15 to 20 minutes. And hope Step the solder gets back Afterward, on? <laughs> yes! Wrap it in towels. Plug it in. Let it overheat. Hope it overheats enough to melt solder. Wow. Which is, the, the melting point of solder can range quite a bit, but it's, it's typically over 100 degrees Celsius, which is hotter than you want your CPU to be. And this, this makes me suspect that it had absolutely no form of overheat protection at all. Anyway, step six, turn off the Xbox 360, let it cool for 20 minutes. Step seven, plug everything back in and turn it on again. And hope it works. It should work. Oh, it should work? <laughs> Did I hear you correctly? Yeah, no. no. <laughs> it should work. Uh, you might have like a 30% chance of it working. Roughly. Maybe. Uh Anyway, users were cautioned not to do this due to the potential for burning down your house. <laughs> I also read somewhere that there were reports of people wrapping it with wet towels for some reason. I'm not entirely sure why on earth anyone would think that's a good idea. Well, you see, well, dry towels it didn't do anything, so... I really want my Xbox to be working, so I'm going to try wrapping it in wet towels. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Ugh. I'm guessing that's how the logic went. Something like that? Uh, yeah. Uh, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> wrapping something in towels and then hoping for it to get hot enough to remelt solder is... All kinds of dumb. Mm -hmm. 
Like, you can fix one thing, but now you've broken three other places. Yeah, or burned down your house. Or melted the plastic casing, or... Mm. Who knows? The casing was plastic? Oh. Yes, I believe so. At least the front part was. Um, I'm not entirely sure about the the whole casing, but I think it was plastic. Okay. And that brings me to the next thing. I looked at a few pictures of the internals of this thing, and boy is it packed in there. To the point where they're using ducting between heat sinks to try to make sure that the air flows over all the heat sinks. Oh boy. There's hardly any space left inside the console with the optical drive and then all of the CPU and GPU heat sinks and ducting. <sighs> and depending on what estimate you listen to, the failure rate of these devices was between 20 and 54%. Oh. I'm kind of surprised it wasn't a bit higher. That is... <laughs> over 50% is a spectacular failure rate. Yeah, it is. I mean, it, especially if we compare this to something like the Note 7, where, mm. like, maybe... Like, a few dozen at the absolute most out of millions of devices exploded. Oh, true. But, uh, they exploded. They didn't overheat. They exploded. <laughs> true, true, true. <sighs> there was also one more issue with the Xbox 360. Customers began complaining of scratched discs. Supposedly, mm. some sort of flaw with the Xbox 360's optical drive would cause oh. three scratches around the outer rim of the no! disc. Like grooves all the way around the disc. Oh. And scratch discs were not covered under warranty. Yay. So that game, that new game you bought is useless now. <laughs> yeah. So, there were investigations, several of them, pages of stuff to read, which I didn't feel like reading all of, but it, it sounds like it basically amounted to people saying, the Xbox 360 scratches discs, and Microsoft saying, no, it doesn't, and then people suing Microsoft, <laughs> and arguing, and then, yeah, they had to reimburse customers who had paid to have a disc replaced. And I imagine not charge for replacement discs in the future, although I don't see that part. But mm. yeah, so one more little addition to the things wrong with this. Also, problems with video output where the video output would develop uh, like static or the screen would just go blank or it would turn black and white for no apparent reason with no error codes. What? Yep. Probably also had something to do with the overheating. Mm. And there was this little problem with it not being able to play some DVDs because the HDMI cable was non-HDCP compliant. Oh, so they skipped a lot of steps. Yeah. I mean, I don't know what that whatever compliant means, but I'm guessing they have that for a reason. 
<laughs> there was also error code E74, which became known as the green screen of death. It was mostly a black screen with a slight green hue, which was later updated to be completely black. But this error code usually meant that a connection to one of the dies in the CPU, or no, in the GPU, had just died. Lost connection. Oh. Bye-bye. Anyway, initially it was not covered under warranty, uh, but then they decided they'd better cover that under warranty, and then paid back people who had paid to have it repaired. I mean, that's good. There was also error code 0001, which has something to do with power supply failures or blown capacitors. Hmm. So the the major failure was the overheating and then basically the CPU falling off. There's a handful of interesting other things wrong with this. Amazingly, though, overall, the Xbox 360 was a fantastic success. And despite all of these issues, they continued to have strong sales and the Xbox 360 line continued until the Xbox One, I believe. Mm -hmm. However, they did update it to a new version. One new version having adjustments so that it wouldn't overheat and kill itself, and then the other having additions like 250 gigabytes of hard drive space and various other things. Uh, it seems they just uh, continued to make minor updates to the Xbox 360s over the years. Hmm. What do you think would have happened if Microsoft was just like, eh, screw it, we're just going to watch the Xbox 360 burn and say every pretty much everything's not under warranty? Um, probably would have been the end of Xbox. Yeah, I'm... <laughs> I mean, based off all the other stuff we covered, it's... Oh, yeah, it's broken. Uh, We don't know how to fix it. We're not going to bother telling people we can fix it. And nah, it's, that's too much money. Poof. <laughs> yeah, because nobody's going to buy an Xbox again if they have something like that happen. Because remember, mm -hmm. this thing is 300 bucks for the base model. 300 bucks minimum. Three to $400. And that's not including in inflation. 2001. Yeah, let me check quickly what that is, including inflation. The $300 base model in 2001 is equivalent to $436 today. Mm, okay. And the $400 model is equivalent to $582. Hmm. That's a fairly expensive device. Mm -hmm. And to buy something like that and then have it die... Within that's another interesting thing. Some of these would just die immediately within the first week or two, or within hours. Mm -hmm. Some would take a year or two to die. But imagine you spend five to six hundred dollars on something, bring it back home, plug it in, fire it up. Two hours later, it kills itself. You contact the manufacturer, and they tell you to jump in a lake. <laughs> Yeah, I'm. I'm not. I'm gonna make sure that all my friends don't buy one if they haven't already. But I'm never gonna buy from that again. Yeah, absolutely. There's no way that anyone that had that experience would ever buy another Xbox, or probably not even touch another Microsoft product. 
Mm, yeah, that is a good point because it's not just Xbox. It's, it's the whole Microsoft Corporation. Yeah, so Xbox would have been done for and it probably would have hurt Microsoft, probably would have done something to their stock prices mm-hmm. as well. Can't imagine uh, screwing customers out of 500 bucks. It would go over well in the news. Mm, yep. <laughs> now I wonder if there's an alternate reality where Microsoft was just like, eh, let's watch Xbox 360 crash and burn. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, you could turn this into an argument for PC gaming, because mm. at least if something in your PC dies... It's serviceable. The CPU isn't soldered to the motherboard. I only have a laptop. And neither is the GPU. <laughs> if you're gonna spend five to six hundred dollars on a gaming console, just get yourself a PC. In my opinion. Mm. I mean, Linus Tech Tips, I believe, did a video of doing like a cheap gaming PC versus gaming console, and they performed about the same so you have the option of you have the option of this the same performance and one of those devices you can also use to edit videos or podcasts or watch thousand videos and it's upgradable (laughs) and the other and uh, yeah well the console probably can do the cat videos so can it do multiple tabs of cat videos uh, probably not. <laughs> so, yeah, that's the Xbox 360 and the Red Ring of Death. Hmm. I really thought that after all these weeks that you chose the topic that you're like, oh, I thought you were going to do that when I was talking about the Power Glove. Are we going to do that in next time? After mine, of course. Oh, I can't remember what that was. You sounded so excited. <laughs> I think I might remember what that one was now. I started writing the script, and then I I kind of decided that I maybe didn't know what I was talking about, and then I decided maybe I should steer clear of that one. Mm. Okay. At least without doing more research. It's a gaming-related item as the power glove was and i didn't want to anger any gamers Mm. (laughs) i mean i i doubt a lot of gamers actually listen to us though but yeah just want to be safe (laughs) so i think i'll do a bit more research before i tackle that one okay all right john anything else Nope, that's it for this one. I hope our listeners uh, have enjoyed this one. It's a little bit different than usual because it's not a complete failure, but I I think there's enough of a disaster there that it's uh, Mm -hmm. an interesting story. And it it cost Microsoft a billion dollars. Yeah, (laughs) made for a very great headline. True, yes. All right, well... Thanks for listening, everyone. We'll hopefully be back again on our regular upload schedule, and we'll see you next time. Bye. A 43-minute recording.